0: Fun, we're bringing the thunder, we are thunder, flesh and blood down under, whoop, lucky 13, episode 13, who have we got tonight? One of Australia's best fab players. <laughs> Possibly the best Possibly. flesh and blood player in Australia. Don't tell Hayden. Well that that's actually my first question. Roy, welcome, thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Yes, that's right, his name is Roy. <laughs> in, in, in your opinion, Roy... Who is currently
1: Australia's best flesh and blood player? Oh, I mean, there's so many good players in Australia, right? Like, it's hard to really pick one out. Um, I mean, your most well-known players, obviously, players like Hayden, mm. um, Nick Butcher, like, they're all great players. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, like, Phil. Phil's a really great, good player as well. and um, incredible brewer, I've found. Yeah, absolutely. He has a very good skill at making decks. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, we were chatting, I think, pre-Pro Tour, and we are just talking about this, and he feels like he's a better deck builder than a player, and I feel like I'm the reverse. So. <laughs> and we do a lot of testing together, yeah. so it works out really well for us. What's good
2: about Phil is he's at always open. Like, he will just build you a deck. He doesn't care. Yeah. He doesn't have, like, secret sauce. Like, if he's got a good deck in his head, He'll send you a list. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Because it also helps him test his ideas. Yeah, totally. But who do you think is the best pl- Like, if By if the you, way, mm. this isn't like a... Let me explain. <laughs> okay. Like you said, I, I let me say my opinion, and then you can answer the question in a softer way. I think Hayden performs the best because of he's a very good player, clearly can build a deck, but also temperament-wise, he can go in a tournament last the whole tournament stay positive because I've seen him tilt in round one and win do you know what I mean yeah yeah absolutely so but I'm saying raw talent like even in an armory who are you actually the most scared to play
1: against <laughs> oh that's a tough one um okay let's say I won't say Hayden um aside from that yep in, I'll just go with Sydney because yeah, yep. familiar. Um I'll go with Phil, honestly.
2: Whoa. Okay, there you go, Phil. What about, so let's talk, because you've been to most of the big events. Last Nationals, what was your hardest game, aside from the
3: finals?
1: Um, In CC, (coughs) forget draft, because that's not a real follow Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I mean, it wasn't a very wide meta at the time. So I think, how many CC games were there throughout? It was like about... It was CC draft. Not including top eight. I think that was about... Six to eight CC Mm. games, and I think aside from one of them, all my opponents were playing Briar. Okay, so you
2: were on Bravo for those who don't remember.
1: Yes, the infamous Don't Attack Bravo.
2: Sorry, you yeah, no, you weren't on
0: Bravo, you're on Older
1: (laughs) What am I
2: talking
0: about?
1: The other Guardian, yeah, yeah, yeah. So,
0: your accolades include uh, Australian National Runner-up. Mm. You came, yep. you lost to Hayden in the final. You've top yep. aided Auckland Calling. Yep. Um, plus, you've won, I don't know how many local tournaments around here. Or too you're many. always, yeah. yeah, too many to name. <laughs> you're, you always seem to be in the top eight or top yeah. four. You won uh, very, uh, you know, quite a prestigious one recently down at Grim, uh, Grim Dark Gaming. <gasps> you did. Uh, you, you had a rematch with Hayden in the final for the 1K event.
2: Which yeah. is verse Viscera yep. again. Yeah,
1: exact same heroes. It was, it was fun. Different builds. Different builds. I mean, different meta. Yes. Um, different cards available. Um, no Scalata, which definitely helped my chances a lot.
2: <laughs> There's a reason it's banned. Yeah. How many Pro Quests have you won? Not too
1: many. I've topped eight quite a few. Mm. But um, You I don't travel many. too much to play, do you? No, just but, whatever's in Sydney.
2: Yeah, because yeah. Phil, like, would jet-set around. He went yeah. Tassie and... ACT and stuff
1: so you really only play in the local occasionally I'll go to um, Canberra yes aside from that uh, honestly I just can't be bothered
2: (laughs) well tell us about um I'm curious I think I know what you do for work but tell the because I think it's very interesting you may not think so (laughs) what do you do do for work what keeps you busy I'm uh, sorry you're fine (coughs) by the way we forced him to come he said he had a cough. Like he's not, he's not sick, it's just he's had this lingering
1: cough. I'm like, yeah. you have to come. <laughs> um, so I'm a data scientist by trade. Uh, currently I'm working in a bank and more specifically I work in e e-com surveillance. e is being electronic communication, so yep. it's stuff like emails and chats. Um, so a lot of um, what we call NLP involved, which is short for natural language processing. Um, so effectively converting words to numbers so then you can run machine learning algorithms and try and predict things or try and catch things out see this is why i've never beaten him in a game
0: Ex- <laughs> explain to me what a data scientist is data <laughs> scientist like for just a layman like uh, myself what, what exactly is that that title
1: what, what? i mean a lot of a lot of people have different well not people but a lot of companies think of it as a different thing but in a very broad Way um, when you think of a data analyst, what they do is they look at historic data and they try and draw pictures and they, mm-hmm. look at, they look at that specifically. Whereas compared to that, a data scientist will be actively trying to predict things in the future. Oh, wow. Okay. So that, that's very general. There's a lot of crossover as well. Mm. But um, so to give you some examples, um, when you go into, say, eBay and you buy something, and then you usually, once you buy something, you'll see a lot of ads or like just other items you may be interested in. That's a machine learn, uh, learning algorithm suggesting uh, what you're interested in. So what they do is they look at you and they look at your demographics. They look at all the stuff that you've um, you've looked at, that you're interested in. They'll try and find users that are similar to you and see what they've looked at. And then they'll go, okay, these guys, you know, they've, they've purchased and looked at these other things, this is what you might be interested in. So that's one use case. Another um, use case would be, um, say, agriculture. Um, you put uh, sensors in the soil, mm. right? And um, it detects a level of rainfall and it te- that you try and work out basically um, an automated um agricultural systems so when do you turn the sprinklers on to water plants when when is there enough soil and you you just stop the sprinklers stuff like that um do you find
0: that can you attribute some of your success in flesh and blood to your day job like do you think the way that you you know do your nine to five and the way that you exercise your mind and those skills that you have does has that assisted you in flesh and blood do you think and
1: make you a really strong player uh, to some degrees, absolutely. Um, what data science requires is a lot of data, which <coughs> unfortunately in terms of flesh and blood, there just isn't. I mean, we're talking about hundreds and millions of rows of data. That, that's the sort of – that's yep. what, what is required to make predictions. Um, so – We don't have that, so I can't quite sort of use those techniques to work out my deck building or anything like that. But um, in terms of just basic mathematics probability uh, when I build my decks or when I'm playing, um, absolutely. Um, That said, I actually, probably surprises a lot of people, but I rely on my uh, intuition a lot when I play rather than doing the actual math itself. Okay. Okay. And do you think,
0: I know that we spoke on this before, before you played Flesh and Blood, you were quite a prolific um, board game player and, you know, living card (coughs) games, all sorts of games, but never TCGs, but you did play a lot of games. Do you think that is where you may have got
1: that intuition around gaming from? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, So I didn't play much Magic competitively, but I played a lot of games from Fantasy Flight. Um, okay. Oh, right. So the LCGs, um, some viewers might know it, like Netrunner, mm. uh, Legend of the Five Rings, um, Game of Thrones, stuff like that. So, played a lot of those games, and that definitely helped. Um, I mean, it's, there's definitely a lot of skills that cross over, but the games themselves are mm. naturally very different. Um, I
2: think when we talk to Phil, you know, he's doing his um, constructed class thing, there's stuff you can learn. Intuition. There's, there's people that are just better at that. Like, whether it's also understanding the opponent's game plan um, or even just guessing correctly. Like, I play Dory. There's certain players that can actually just read my hand. Like, Phil is one of them. Like, yeah, he, yeah. he's very likely to guess from what I've pitched, quickly check my graveyard and just know <laughs> if I'm trying to go wide or tall. I mean, intuition
1: at the end of the day is your experience, right? So yeah. the more you play the games, better it gets. the better it gets. And the more specific it is, the better it gets, it yeah. the quicker it
0: gets. So Timmy's better. need to put
1: in reps. That's what you're telling me, Roy? Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. still have fun, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my,
0: my, um, uh, before I forget, uh, Flesh
2: and Blood Online, you, you see this stuff on Twitter a lot. The data's there. It's, it's being built. It's coming. So these, these online... So TTS doesn't do it well. But Felt Table and Flesh and Blood Online both publish data sets, and it's very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And and hopefully, especially if pro players start to use those tools to test more, because the data stays anonymous, I believe. Yeah. It would be great because then you start actually seeing, because it's got win rates for cards, and it's got, you know, decks that play this card have a slight edge over the same deck without that card. Like, that's the data that, yes, can answer a lot of questions that. You have to guess when you deck build without actually looking at a million games played and go, oh, okay, commander & is as good as we think. Or the opposite, it's a must-have. Like, we don't really yeah. know. We sort of know from playing it that it feels good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. One thing I actually want to do, I just, again, um, just work in personal life. I haven't gotten around to it, but <clears throat> I would really like to build sort of like a simulator in terms of just uh, deck building. It's not so much which card has a higher... Uh, win percentage, but more just um, your ratios like mm. um if i 'm playing Oldham for example, um how many how blues many, how many blues am I to draw in a hand and on second cycle with certain assumptions, maybe I use one red uh, maybe I use half my reds on the first cycle um how that changes the deck structure and what my probability is going into second cycle and so forth uh, or even just. Specific cards, right? Like, I want a two-cost attack that's a Pablo. So, mm. like, your um, brother in arms and your command yep. and conquers, things like that. Um, so, what's my probability of drawing one um, throughout the game? And just using, rather than using hard mats to do that, I think just running a simulator where I have all 60 cards in the deck mm. and then just collecting stats. So it's just by drawing, it. Yeah.
2: drawing, discarding four or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Arsenaling so. one. That's, that's not super complicated no, to do, no. is it? Yeah. No,
1: so definitely something that, <laughs> that I can do. Um, but I've seen <laughs> some fancy spreadsheets that do that, but probably not to the level you're trying to do. Those are more stuff like hypergeometric calculators and things like that, I yeah. think. Not sure, but um, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been done in magic. It's, it's above our levels for sure. <laughs> when, it, when it comes to that data... Do you think that's a positive thing? Do
0: you like having all that data available through Felt Table or or Flesh and Blood online? Or do you like things, you know, to be kept behind closed doors? What's your opinion on that? Do you think Um, that big data should be available? Like if pros are testing on Flesh and Blood online,
1: do you think that data should be made available? Do you want that data? Let me ask you a question in return. I mean, I don't really understand that question. Why would I not be...
0: Um, because I know in the part, look, again, I'm just drawing back to stuff that's happened in previous games, especially Magic. I know that, I think it was MTG Goldfish at one point were tapping into Magic Online or Arena, but they were pulling a lot of data. Yeah. A lot of data, that, which in turn was making formats solved, especially stand-up, a lot quicker. So then I think a lot of people didn't like that um, so that they, they didn't have access to that intricate data anymore. Yeah. Um,
2: I think, so, I would imagine, let's talk, like Hearthstone-level data, like MTG Arena would have millions and millions and millions of players, or at least thousands, and then millions of data points. I think that can get to a point where you can make, you can get closer to perfection than a human will, Uh, the way like a chess bot would work. But what you're trying to talk about, the data is more, not to build the perfect deck necessarily. It's more tuning.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Like, wha- like rather than do a thousand reps on a deck yourself till it feels good, get this the program to do a thousand reps until you your your ideal number is seven poppers and thirty four blues. It, that's what you're yeah, trying yeah, to figure exactly, out, right? Yeah. Um, but then that kind of answer just makes the game less variant. Like, if every Oldham played the, the right amount of Blues and Poppers, for instance, they would yep. just have less variance,
1: right? Like, they would suffer less from bad hands. And honestly, that's the main reason why I play Oldham, just because of the, less it's variance. the lowest variance deck that I can find. Mm. And mm. I'm, I mean, I like playing Control. Don't get me wrong, but um, I also like playing more aggressive decks. I like mid-range decks as well. Yep. Um. To take turns from magic, but um, it's consistent. Uh, yeah, like I find that if something can go wrong for me, it will always go wrong. So I just try and find the most consistent. Man, I, try, I play older, <coughs> I play warrior.
2: Like you can't. You can be. You having the best game, then you draw all reds. You're like, yeah. oh, sir, have tempo back. <laughs> My deck just killed me. <laughs> the amount of times I've lost to just complete variance, like either all blues or all reds, or you just your deck has 24 attack reactions and you draw (coughs) absolutely none of them.
3: (laughs) Do you think
0: that you're a stronger, with that in mind, like you prefer playing a constructed deck that has the least amount of variance, do you think you're a stronger constructed Flesh and Blood player or a limited player? Because I know you are a very good
1: limited player. I would definitely say I'm stronger. (coughs) Sorry. sorry. (laughs) Definitely stronger constructed player. Okay. Um my limited play is quite well limited <laughs> um, most of which is coming from flesh and blood I've uh, the LCGs, so I'm not sure if you guys know what that is but it's it's not a tradable card game right mm. so it's it's like a board game it's like all the pieces are there right yeah so there were modules where um, you can do drafts or that some people do make cubes so you do play draft but that's quite That's sort of on the side, the main thing is constructed and that's sort of where a lot of my experience comes from.
0: Talk to us about how you got into Flesh and Blood. I I I I love this story. (laughs) I've heard it before, but geez, it it is a very fun story. Talk to us about how how you
1: got introduced to Flesh and Blood and how you played your first games. I love this. So um, this was literally the night before the first Sydney calling, I believe. Um, My mate, one of my good friends, Kenny... Uh, also, a very good board game player slash TCG player. Just called me up and said, "Hey, there's this new TCG coming out. Do you want to learn it? There's a big event tomorrow. Um, you know, it was like 1K price, whatever it was. Can't remember now." And um, said, "You know, like, do you want to Do you want to go check it out?" And I said, "Sure, why not?" So went to his place. Um, I think the event was um, was sealed. Okay. So that's sort of what we did. He. Went through the rules with me and uh, we did one sealed game. So we opened six packs each. I think I actually opened a cold foil um, Mask of Momentum that night.
3: Oof.
2: It was yeah. worth, what, 80 bucks at the time? <laughs> at the time, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> I had no idea that was like a rare card. I just sort of saw it like, oh, this looks really nice. Chuck Shiny. Yeah. Did you Shiny. play Ninja? Did <clears throat> you build a Ninja deck? All yeah, right. so I <laughs> built Ninja um, with Kenny's help building, building the deck. Got absolutely crushed. And still had no idea what Cartus Ability did um, just because I was, you know, I was tired, I was sleepy, I was lazy, I can't be bothered reading the cards. (laughs) Um, Says it
2: attacks for three.
1: (laughs) Yeah, awesome. So um, that was my experience and then I jumped into the Calling Sydney. um, The very next day. The the very next day. So my second game, or probably third game of Flesh and Blood was the Calling Sydney. And... um, basically lost every single game i think i might have won one game no i think i don't think i won a single game i lost all seven games i joined a side event lost another three games there and i think for for the calling i built a katsu deck because that's what i built the night before and it was just this um belittle minimalism deck um so it's just a lot of Free cost, again, plus three, coming in attack, that kind of thing. And um, after that, I was like, you know, not a bad game. Not sure how I feel about losing set nine games in a
0: row. but um, Yeah, what drew you into the game after you've just gone to an event and lost <laughs> nine games in a
1: row? Like, what was, it? was it the art? Was it the mechanics, you know? It was the mechanics. And honestly, well, the large part of it was, it was because my, uh, my mate Kenny was getting into the game and um, I wanted to just go along for the ride. Um, so decided to keep playing the game, bought, I think, another two booster box at the time and proceeded to lose the next 15, 20 games. I think I lost about 30, 40 games before I actually won a single game. To your friend, you were playing against your friend, yeah, Kenny? Yeah, Kenny. And what was uh, his connection to the game again? I remember you telling I me I believe he's, uh, his family friends with James White. That's right, yeah. yes. yes. So he had a very good understanding of the game. He's, yeah, he's just a phenomenal uh, board game slash card game player. He picks things up really fast. Um, so he was, you know, he just, I think he topped out that, um, that calling as well.
0: So, so paint the picture. Your friend that basically, friends with James White, very early with the game, phenomenal player. You learn how to play the night before the calling. Yeah. You go to the calling, lose nine matches. <laughs> you can proceed to buy some boxes and hang out with Kenny and play another 30 games against someone that's just top date, the first calling, phenomenal player. You've lost 30, but you're essentially training against
1: one of the best. Do you think that is what gave you that great foundation in the game? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, everybody learns in a different way, right? Um, A lot of people are very methodical and they sort of read every single card, ask a lot of questions, whereas my approach... um, partly because I'm a little bit lazy sometimes, I just like to get a lot of reps in and just get that intuition going. And from there, I'll start doing more of the thinking um, post getting the intuition. So a lot of the way I think in games is just um, led by my intuition. Mm. So I might go, I think this is a good play. Why is it a good play? Why is it a bad play? Then I'll start doing thinking. I, I like to get my reps in before I sort of start delving into the details where some some amazing players actually a lot of the amazing they players. They tank they tank and yeah. they think about every single thing and they really learn the game.
2: I, I so I'm more like <coughs> you. And maybe it doesn't translate, but I keep telling better players than me that don't top eight as often as me is you're better, but you overthink. Well, I'm more likely to sit, tell myself I don't care if I win, but I like if you'd brought a CC deck, I'd want to do four matches in an hour. If it took us an hour to do one, I shut off <laughs> my brain. I'm like, that's enough. It's <laughs> like interesting. I need to play, play and then make the mistakes and then just know where I fucked up and then try not to repeat it. Yeah, it probably comes from like doing jujitsu, even basketball. Like you want to get better at three shots. Like you have to stand on the line. Get and just shoot. You can't like someone can show you the technique a little, but nothing beats shooting a thousand free throws. Nothing beats that. You're right. Re- you, it goes, your your knowledge goes up, your muscle memory yeah. builds in.
1: Absolutely. And that's, I think that's exactly where I get it from as well. Yeah. Just um, BJJ. Yeah. So it turns out
2: that. We have some BJJ people yeah. in. None of us knew. I don't know why we don't have.
0: No, I, I know Roy's done kickboxing. You've done yeah, some amateur yeah, yeah, but fights too. I don't too. care about kickboxing. Well, well, yeah, well, I do.
2: <laughs> Roy's but, a silent assassin. That, tell, tell us about like your your
1: MMA, MMA, your martial arts stuff. Um, so back in uni, I started with just basic Chinese Chinese martial arts, and very quickly from there, I just moved into kickboxing, and I did that for quite a number of years. And at some point, I did BJJ, um, got up to Blue Belt, but decided to uh, focus on kickboxing. Mm. And for next <coughs> good five to six years, I just focused on kickboxing, and that's where I did most of my competing. Um, at some point, my coach retired. Just cut the story really short. Sure, yeah. um, So, I decided to not continue kickboxing. And from there, I just jumped back into grappling. So, yep. BJJ and um, freestyle wrestling, that okay. sort of stuff. Wow. Um, so, <clears throat> at that time, it was close to COVID time, I think it was. I was, like, aiming to try and get my purple. Mm. But um, COVID hit, so stopped all my momentum and just back to square one now. I feel the
2: same because of an injury yeah. and COVID I'm never going to get a stripe on my blue belt. <laughs> but to be honest, th- there's, there's something to be said about loving it regardless. So I think the people that make it to black don't care. Most of them. Yeah. I yeah. think that's, if you're doing it for the belt, you probably will never get the belt. It's very, very hard to learn anything between blue and purple. Cause you can't feel it. <laughs> like you can't like look and go, I feel like a purple belt in jujitsu. There's no such thing. And usually if you're in the same gym and this probably relates to Fab a little, everyone's learning as you learn. So you're actually getting better. Your coach probably notices that you stopped giving up Mount too easily, you know, but for you, everyone's got better as you got better. Some people even quicker and you're like, oh man.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think that the main difference between people who improve quicker and not as quick is um, a lot of people tend to go back to their old patterns, mm. so they don't try to do anything new, Yeah, right? Um, especially when you get to, say, blue belt, like, you're known to be, like, you know, a decent wrestler. You don't want to go go up against a, a white belt and sort of try something new and get caught, and it's, uh, it's like an ego thing, right? But like you can't you have feel, that. You yeah. can't have that. And if you just go back and just keep doing your old thing, like... We were talking about reps. Yeah. Yes, like reps help, but at some point you need to move on from that. And if you just keep doing the same thing over and over, it just,
2: <clears throat> you're not going to improve. Especially with bad habits. Like it's its detrimental if you have a bad habit and then you keep repeating. So jujitsu, and this does relate to fab, uh, very high level guys and girls tend to either handicap themselves or purposely... Like they go into a session and go, I'm going to try and land triangles because it's my weakest move. Yeah. So rather than going in and going, I'm going to win as much as I can. They go and I want to. I'm. I've been not doing triangles very well. I'm gonna like practice triangles in a competitive environment. So they'll go in and they, they can catch you in ten other submissions or they can out wrestle you or whatever. Uh, but they'll never go back. Like they'll never go to the back, which is their natural. They always want to take back. They yeah. just stop doing that. They pull guard. They try and shoot triangles, and they try, try, try till they learn it themselves. So they use you as a training dummy. Yeah, Fab. I think people that are one tricks. Or they only ever play aggro. One of the best things they can do
0: is go play oldham. Well, that's why yeah. I started playing Bravo. It te- because I tro- it I wanted to change the way. Yeah, I wanted to change the way my yeah. brain worked. Because when I started playing Bravo, I'm like, this is so unnatural to me. Yeah. But I thought I just need to persevere to try and unlock some different skill set and way I approach the game. Now mm-hmm. I'm not there yet, but that was
1: my whole reason for picking up yeah, Bravo. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's why I like trying. To play different decks, although I seem to be known to be the autumn <laughs> <older laughs> player, um, but you can be more specific than that as well, right? Like mm. you might go, "Okay, I'm not good at stacking my decks, so play decks that shuffle." Play, yeah, and they play decks that shuffle or whatnot. But you can just spend your time play your, play games which require you to stack a deck, and um, just just work on it. Mm. Like it it won't be easy, right? And it'll, it might take a long time for you to get it, or it might take. Less time, but um, point is you need to sort of put in those reps and get, get that skill down. And the worst and thing
2: you can do is you will know, like wh- when you now sit across from a Bravo, your comfort zone is, mm. is so much better. You're like, I know exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you'll notice they've got two floating or they've got two in hand in an arsenal. So they could be a problem. Like you start seeing, and, and like anyone that loses to Dory a lot, my, I always tell them, I'm like, borrow my deck. Yeah. You play the deck for a week and you'll know exactly what I have in my hand because you're like, "Oh crap, most of the time it's three <laughs> damage attack reaction with a reprise." You know what I mean? Yeah, but absolutely. you if when you see it when you pilot, it's very very it's a yep. good learning experience. And
1: just jumping quickly back to the um the deck stacking mm. example. I think a lot of people don't end up learning the skill because they give up too quickly. They'll be you know, they might try try it for a few weeks and go, oh, you know what? I keep forgetting my stack within the next five turns. Um, I'm just not smart enough or I'm just not good enough. And, and they give up. But like, you know, you, you just need to spend the time and um, just accept those losses and not be too bothered by it.
2: What's your secret?
1: <laughs> Some tips. My like Because we Do you pitch stack? No, good I enough.
2: can't remember my pitch stack. Some no. things I do, like if I have a fable uh. in my deck... I'll, I'll have some sort of recollection, but I'm not remembering what's after it. It just reminds me that I'm in, in my session. Actually,
0: no, in limited, I do sometimes. Like, I okay. don't stack my pitch, but I try and sometimes uh, pitch, pitch Or pitch an, uh, a card that intuitively the Timmy inside of me wants to swing with. I'll be like, okay, maybe I'll sacrifice something this turn and I'll pitch it for later. That's about as in depth as my. Do you have
2: some pitch broad level. Games? So so okay. One thing I'll ask a legit question from me because there's something I think I'm doing wrong on on Dory when I play. I tend to go, I want to pump as much damage as I can, right? Because I'm racing yeah. most of the time <coughs> in this meta. Do you consciously forget? I think Oldham's probably different because you're just you can actually deck people out. Dory, I can't <laughs> deck people yeah, yeah. out usually. Are you like consciously doing what Paul said, which is? 've got a you've got an iron song response and they give you a reprise but in your mind go you know what I'm gonna pitch that into my gloves so that I get it when it's more important like do you make sure the bottom of your deck is not all reds every game all the time is that something we should all be doing
1: I mean that's definitely something that I do um, I don't know if I'd say it's something that everyone should be doing for all decks if I it wouldn't really have depends. to
2: I imagine like that nature I mean, of
1: deck where it's a three four turn game usually. If you're playing fly against Oldham, and uh, you Edith, would have to, right? Yeah, yes. you would have to. So, and it's it really, yeah, it really depends on how the game's going, right? Like if you're pushing enough damage through, you might go, you know what? Let's let's just push as much as we can, and the last few points of damage will will get through.
2: Okay. Right. Uh, that brings me to a very good question. Then, I I. Phil told me you're the best person that reads the game as in you can tell how the game's going and adapt to it very quickly which is I think a higher level skill it probably comes from intuition where you go you're realizing you're not pushing enough damage compared to the amount of cards you're using or defend you know what i mean yep. and you can switch um Talk about it like a flow chart because I think you do some of that stuff for a living. <laughs> what what questions like for, for a basic level are running through your head when you're playing a game? So you you're, you play around, they pass to you. What what do you actually ask? You know, you're looking at the line you can play and is that the right line or, you know, but is, is there then another series of questions where you're going, um, do I pitch for later? Like how are you reading board state or the game state to to pivot mid game or... Decide
1: to change tact. I'll talk it from. I'll talk about it from an older sure. uh, perspective. Um, on a very base level, I'm just trying to optimize my turns. Every turn, right? I try to take no damage. I use my cards efficiently to block. That's the basics of it, right? And from there, it's understanding what my opponent's trying to do, what his game plan is. Like, is he trying to push damage, or is he trying to build up damage and go? An example. A good example would actually be my game against Hayden more recently. The
2: OTK. Oh no, the no, more recent one. The, the more recent one.
1: Okay. Um, so, at the start of the game, Hayden wasn't attacking as much. He was building up rune chance to be able to push through damage against Oldham because I think, generally speaking, Oldham will be able to block out if if um, if Visra just goes aggro. Mm. So, given that. S- uh, my game plan is then just to try and disrupt him and attack because he's not attacking. And I- in a sense, it's quite easy because he's not attacking. I have cards in my hand. I can attack, right? It, yeah. It's a pretty straightforward thing. So I was prioritizing my, um, my Command and Conquers, my pommels, to get rid of cards out of his hand yeah. and make sure that he can't generate rune chance fast. So at some point, Hayden notices that's what I'm doing. So he goes, okay, I can't wait any longer. You've got to go aggro I now. have to go aggro So then, it took me, actually, in this particular game, took me a little bit long to realise. Um, I was still trying to get some damage through while he started attacking again, but um, basically, at that point, that means I had to switch and go back to a more defensive gameplay where um, the game ended with me decking Hayden out. Yeah. So, again... Base level, just optimising. Second second level is understanding what my opponent is trying to do, what their game plan is, and just trying to work around that. And I, I guess this is pretty high level. Like, I never know what high level low level no, is. No, but just say just it.
2: People can figure <laughs> out if I understand. Both of us are pretty low level. It's fine. Uh, very <laughs> low level. Down in the weeds.
1: Uh, but just at a very um, broad Intuitive level, next thing I would look at is um, just understanding the construct of my deck as the game goes on. So the number of reds, the number of blues, the number of um, specific cards, so pommels, command and conquers, the number of free um, or lower cost attacks if I'm playing my particular build of Oldham, and the number of if, if I'm playing against Prism, then the number of poppers, that sort of stuff. So understanding what's left in my deck and how. Because you envisioned. might
2: have to go aggro cuz you have got no poppers left so yeah. If you yeah. Let, let prism just run free, you might get run over. That kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, that sort of thing. So to simplify, you're asking yourself what's the most optimal thing you can do with your cards. Yes. But that's technically based off what you think the opponent's doing and whether you want to optimally block and deal some damage or optimally um stack how how aggressive deck, you yeah. can
1: be or stack so I might draw into a bad hand where I have, you know, a no block and three two blocks, yep. three of which are pummels, right? So Correct. how do I deal with that? Like, do I still try to optimally block and yep. reduce damage in this turn or, or do I try and pitch as many of those cards as I can? And get that from value back later. Yeah, so depends on how I think the game will end there as well, right? So if I feel like Hayden towards the end of the game is going to be attacking aggressively, I'm not going to be using those pummels, right? So those two blocks is going to come back and bite me. Yeah. This is now high level,
2: a little bit high level, because yeah. I've never thought that far in a hand, mm. is how will the game end, right? Like, ha- yeah. where will we, what will this look like? But I think if you ask that question, you could come up with some answers. Like, I know against Bolton, how the game will look in the end. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He's yeah. going to go for a combo. There's some decks which is obvious, but you're right. Some decks is not always that obvious. Uh, Prism,
0: if they're building auras, it's obvious what the end game looks yeah. like. So do you find that's one of your strengths, navigating the end game? Because I hear the card guys, big shout out, mm. love what you do. Um, they talk about it a lot. The, the great players out there have a very... Uh, they know how to navigate. They've got a very good, solid understanding of the end game. Um, when the resources are, are low, you you know, out of equipment, you know, things are quite
1: limited. I I don't know if I'd say that's something that sets me apart. Like personally, I don't feel like I'm a great player per se. I feel like I'm above average. Um, above average come on Roy <laughs> <laughs> just, geez, if you think that you're only just above average there's no hope for but, any of us <laughs> but, um, I feel like these are just easy things that everyone can do as well mm. it's okay. just not something that people would necessarily do um, if they're, when they're new to gaming per se and it's, it's also something that even if you realise it's something you should do or that could be good for you to do um, it, it's a matter of habit, right? So I was gonna
2: say it's hard to remember to do it. <laughs> yeah. So again,
1: yeah. Um, back with the drilling mm. conversation we we're having earlier, you can make your next, you know, your next month's worth of armory games or your playtesting games. This is what com- I'm going to do. Um, every turn, I'm going to ask this question first thing, and then I'm going to go and proceed to play my game normally. Or yeah. obviously, it might have some impact, but then proceed to play my game. Mm. So. Trying to build that habit, which is, again, very hard, but um, it just requires reps.
2: Peronine, um Delia had a good point. It doesn't apply to me, but uh, it's it's. I understand what he's doing. He can get a bit tilted when he plays. So one of the things he does is at the start of every round, he goes, am I neutral? Trying to get away from that headspace of he could be negative or come across as negative, right? Um, which is important. If you're going to perform well and you have a problem with, getting angry or tilted, that's the first thing you should be telling yourself is, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I have the opposite in jujitsu. I don't get the killer instinct, fight or flight, even because I, like I, st- I know I'm not going to die, I guess, but also I just don't have that ego <coughs> thing. And when I compete, I have to remind myself to. I need to be aggressive. Like you can't, it's not about surviving. It's about I got to try and kill him. Like I got to try and break his arm. Like I don't yeah, want to yeah. break his arm, but I have to try. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Does it make sense? Yeah. Otherwise, because I'll pull guard and if I last for five minutes and the guy's bigger than me, I won. Yeah. But I didn't. But in my head, I'd, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But th- this concept is, is very interesting. It's something I, I want to explore in my own games. because like I'm going to Singapore and Lil. Yeah. Um, I might even try and buy a PTI for Worlds. Like those questions I think make, you don't see it that you're a great player necessarily, but those questions do set people apart, because I think people play off the cuff with what they have, they play I do that most armories, I'm not really going pause for a second go, is this match going to be over in two turns, or is it a long game? Like, versus uh, Reiner Dory versus Reiner, it's a long game compared to Dory versus Phi. Yeah. you know what I mean? Because Reiner will block me out um,
1: But you know. that's also the good thing, right? Like, the more you do this, the more it becomes a, like a A habit and and that becomes an intuition it's
2: reps added with try and build a habit in. you don't need to remember every question but what's like the question you struggle with the most and if it's you always get to later stages in games and you've run out of good cards well you need to make your habit is which one of these can I pitch for later before you which is what uh, Paul was saying is
0: yeah I've got a question like you said the first thing you want to do with Oldham is you want to use your cards efficiently block efficiently and the second thing you said is you want to understand what your opponent's doing. Um, I've got a question on that. How do you go about getting familiar with all the other decks? Because, uh, you know, I feel that the advantage that you get in Flesh and Blood from knowing what another deck is doing Huge. intimately is massive. Much more so than Magic. Like, Magic, you just have to have some sort of an idea, high-level idea of what a Burn deck's doing or what a Tron deck... But you don't need to know intimately what is going on. Like, I'm sure you can, and the pros do, but I think it only gives them a 5%, maybe 10% edge. But I think in Flesh and Blood, like, for example, if you know exactly what Dory's doing inside out, like, your win percentage just goes
1: up dramatically against the deck. So how do you do that? How do you go about... I, yeah, I don't think I have anything amazing or special to say about like this you particular look at deck question, lists? but, so, I mean, it, it's all the standard stuff, right? You look at deck lists... You play test on both sides. You watch videos of um, high-quality play and just uh, – it, it's those three things.
0: So, you play other decks purely – so, you'll play a deck into someone else piloting Oldham? Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, I mean, it's all part of testing, right? Um, yeah. <clears throat> and, I th- yeah, it's always good to just play all the decks just to get a feel of what they're doing, um, even if it's just at a very – Broad basic level,
2: yeah. Like, read yeah. the cards and play yep. them. I, I found it changed. So, I played before the team calling. Um, I was I tested on Oldham and I tested on Briar. <laughs> it really helped. <laughs> I was terrible at those decks, but then on Oldham, I was beating Dash all the time. Okay, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I was yeah. like, yeah. wait, this is easy because I know <laughs> I'm not playing optimally, but I can see why it's a hard matchup. Yeah, and then on Briar which is way easier to pilot than Oldham. Like the dash matchup, like I wasn't beating dash on Dory is what I'm saying, but Briar and the dash felt, well, if I get the right cards first, they just, I obliterate them. But it it helps to know what that deck can do. And you're actually just, you just become way less respectful of the deck because you're like, you know what it looks
1: like, but but
2: it's not scary because it's not
1: unknown. Yeah. Um, Just changing the topic a little Mm. bit. You mentioned, I found it interesting you mentioned that Oldham would have been a harder deck to pilot or play. I I don't know, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but personally I feel like there aren't any hard decks to play per se.
0: Oh, okay. I like <laughs> this. Now we're now, now we're getting into it. <laughs> All right, I'm yes. just gonna jump on. Kano Here we go. Tomorrow. Bolton Picks
1: is back. the most complicated deck to play. <laughs> <Like> I mean, <laughs> there's certainly more complicated decks. Right? I'll I'll,
2: no. ex- I'll clarify. Oldham has a couple of extra steps you have to think of before you play your cards. One is because your arsenal isn't a crown. Not you know what I mean. So most decks you're used to arsenaling your best card. Oldham is more likely you're arsenaling your worst card or something you want later. That that was. Took extra steps in but my it, head. Expansion makes
1: it easier, though, right? Because you can Arsenal. Oh, no, any it's
2: card. an advantage. Yeah, yeah, you could put your harder <laughs> final there and it goes away. But it's an when I say hard, I'm talking about the extra. If you had a flowchart, Oldham has a few extra questions to ask than I was used to playing. Definitely, you ask way less questions on Ira, is what I'm saying. Do you know what I mean? Like a passive ability? Oh, yes, sure. Even Brian has like a little, like you had to get over, okay, I've got to play non attack and an attack to get a.
1: Yeah. I feel like if you just understand the play patterns of each deck, like it doesn't take that much to no. do well with that particular deck. Oh,
2: hard by no means. Like you could pick it up yeah. in an hour. You, you'll you be proficient at most of these yeah, decks because yeah, yeah. the rules are all the same. Also, if you've been playing the game for longer than a month, you've probably seen the other decks being piloted, So I, you get a bit of an idea of the rhythm of Oldham. It's like what Oldham usually does is you swing and then they go...
1: Okay, crown. <laughs> yeah. Like you get, you get a feel for what you're supposed to do. And again, it's sort of just a lot of it comes back down to experience, right? Yes. And when people say a deck is hard to play, um, sort of what you were alluding to, there's more decisions to make. But if you're proficient with the deck, you've played it enough, then those, those decisions hard. are yeah. intuitive and they don't require uh, mental capacity.
2: Yeah. Which, which takes time. There's you got to put enough time yeah, in a yeah, deck sure. to get to the point where you... So I've noticed there's a big difference in body language between good players and new ones or, or people that get stressed under pressure is how much you look at your hand and how much you look at the board. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So people that are looking at their hand when the enemy has priority is very odd to me because you should be doing your best to read that information so a lot of times I'll draw and I don't look if the other player's quick. Like, I'll draw and I'm really trying to see, do they look stressed? Do they look like... Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to see what they're doing. Because I usually, on Dory, like, it's not going to take me long out of my four cards to figure out the line. Yeah, yeah. While vice versa is, I'd rather pick up the information or what... That's, uh, that's, that's almost f-
0: like Brian Kibler-esque. He used to do <laughs> the same thing in Magic. He would, because uh, you each... Jeez, it's been so long since I played. Yeah, end of your turn. Uh, no, start of your turn. No, so for mulliganing purposes, whoever um, would look at their hand first, uh, like, so you both draw up your seven cards and then decide whether you want to mulligan, but it's been so long since I played. But basically, the person who's going first, I believe, they decide first, but intuitively you'll just pick up your cards at the same time. But Brian Kibbilla wouldn't. He would draw his seven cards and put them in front of him and watch his opponent. Yeah studying their There's cards. Information. To see whether they had a good hand or not, see if he could pick a tell. Because that should affect if you mulligan yeah. or not.
2: I think that's a poker thing. I don't know if he yeah. ever played yeah. poker, but I think in poker, you can look at your cards when they're dealt, but the, the etiquette is you leave them face down till the the player who's like behind you makes a decision. Because it's sort of irrelevant if you got the best hand or not. The problem is if you look early and it's aces and you make any sort of fucking tell it will affect the people whether they even play or not. So you usually you're supposed to leave
1: your cards down, wait till it's your turn, look and then decide. Yeah, it's interesting because that's, that's actually something that I don't ever do. Like I actually try and avoid it. And this probably... Avoid looking or you don't I, play I, the person? I, I don't play the person. Yeah, I always just look at the probabilities and what, what's happening in the game itself. I try not. All, to. all
2: I'm uh, sure, and I don't think you can play the person much in Fab unless it's Dory or something where, like, oh, yeah. like you're trying to guess if they have a pummel. But most of it is very probability based. Oh, yeah. we have
0: a few players here. When they draw four bad cards, you know about it. Which, <laughs> well, we have a lot of players hey, that lie. Hey, <laughs> we have a lot of
2: players that lie as well. When no, no, they <laughs> pretend they have a very yeah. bad hand and vocalize it. I got sort of lost a top four situation in a skirmish cuz the guy said it's a shit hand and then dealt 12 cuz i cuz yeah, i block yeah. drunk thinking he had a shit hand <laughs> it'll never happen again what i was trying to say though play probability you should be looking at your opponent when they're doing something your hand is irrelevant yeah, like sure you, yeah. if they have priority you should be focused on what are they doing yeah absolutely because yeah. it's also slow players are usually the ones looking at their hand when they draw it but it's irre- whatever you draw at the end of your turn is irrelevant right now that's like the least amount of attention required because what you're going to have to decide is what to do in response to your opponent do you know what i mean if you've Arsenal pass drawn four it's time to watch the opponent play because you need that information to decide now I, again when you're good you can do both you quickly check your yeah. hand all right i got two blah, blah, blah. like you can but if you're if you can't do it in microseconds, you should focus on what's going on. That's, I feel it, it made me a better player. The minute I stopped looking down, and I, like, I know every Dory card, I don't have to read any of them, I don't need yeah. to look for very
1: long. And I don't know how applicable this... Probably not very applicable to Flesh and Blood, but um, when I used to play chess... I uh, used to go to a lot of Blitz tournaments, so mm. that's basically five-minute games. Oh, you and
0: play competitive chess? Yeah, I used to play competitive oh, chess.
1: Wow. I used to oh, wow. chess explains coach. everything. Yeah. <laughs> just, now now we're getting the full pitch. So uh-huh. we've got, no.
0: we got Kickboxer, <laughs> <laughs> Chess Master, Data Scientist. Jeez, Roy, they, what they the they
2: hell? Even modelled, I told you. They modelled fire after, fire after did you know? Yeah, he's a, he's a dead set <laughs> <laughs> assassin. What's in that bloody
0: briefcase,
2: Roy? Jeez.
1: You're
3: not gonna. Um, His drink.
1: His double oh seven. Yeah, I know. Unbelievable. (laughs) But um, basically, it's five minutes Mm. each person, and as soon as you make a move, you press your clock, and it's your opponent's time ticking down. So what I used to love doing is I would, at least for the first five moves or so, which I'm pretty usually you'd be pretty familiar with, I instantly. I don't think I just Mm. make a move, and that doesn't give my opponent a chance to think to think so then he has to use the minute his time their to think. time is
2: ticking the pressures on them
1: yeah exactly mm. and that's sort of something that i kind of took into Oldham, where um like in order to make sure that i don't go to time i would make sure to think of all the possible lines while while they're playing during their time while they're so ticking up <coughs> tunic and whatever yeah. Um, obviously not always the case there will be times where i need to things get tricky and I need to think on my own time but for the most part my turns um, even if I have like four cards in hand it should be pretty quick yeah right. I, 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 and that sort of puts pressure on your opponent as well
2: I noticed that at the team calling the speed I play Dory at I've told like locals have told me that I can't remember I think it was Kevin Kevin's like like he was we were playing a, a blitz armory and he's shaking like that and then he wins. I'm like, good work, man. He goes, man, I was so nervous. Like I haven't beaten you before. I'm like, bro, you beat me all the time. He's like, yeah, yeah, but you're a really good player. I go, no. He goes, yeah, but you play so confidently. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but that doesn't make me good. Cause a lot of times I'll play and then I go, fuck a fucking wrong card. But I leave it out. But yeah, yeah. but you, the fact that like he was a newer player at the time that he thought I was very good because I played fast is actually a very good thing because uh, the pressure's on them when they're deciding if you get your actions yeah. out of the way and they can't deal with pressure then it helps. I I think we should have blitz timers like chess. So if especially like if blitzes are worlds, right? It makes no sense to me that it's a thirty minute game and it's not fifteen minutes each because there's some people that tank for five minutes. Yeah, yeah. And you don't, and I don't, and a well, lot of people I, don't. I do. <laughs> so, Sometimes. No, no. but, but Which is fine, because, like, okay, when Kano tanks for five minutes, I completely know what they're thinking. So I understand it, because the Kano match is never a long, very long game. And there's a lot of, like, you know, a, pain, a Kano pitch stack
0: ends up, like, 12 cards. that Like, it's, it's a big thing. But you are right. I have noticed the longer I'm in the tank for, the higher probability that I misplay. Yeah.
2: That, so you intuition know, it, it, is yeah. playing it because, if, okay, let, let me put it this way. Uh, let's talk about chess. It works for any martial art. It works for everything. Yeah. Learning the basic <laughs> mechanics of chess takes 15 minutes. <laughs> this does that. This does that. Right? Yeah. There's the, how many pieces are there? Like eight or whatever? I don't know how many pieces in chess. Well, Not even. I mean 16 pieces. No, no, no. But how many in like unique movements are there? There's pawns. Six. Six, right? There's six things you got to know about chess. <laughs> And the win condition, right? That's the only things... Yeah. Like, just is incredibly easy to learn. Once you've learned them, then you realize how complex it is. Jiu-jitsu is the same. You can learn all the basics of jiu-jitsu in a couple of weeks. Like, like here's how you should fall. This <coughs> is like, right? But then you realize, oh shit, this is complicated. I think you should play the reps first. Especially if you ever go to time on any deck, including Oldham, you should just play more reps. And make mistakes, acknowledge the mistake, but don't ask to take it back and don't like, do you know what I mean? Because the best way to stop making the mistakes, if you know the mechanics is just like actually make it. Well, if you think for five minutes and play it, I feel like you learn it less because you don't get enough chances to correct it. Like if you only play three matches a week and you overthink every turn. I don't think you learn as much as if you do your Blitz game in 10 minutes I go, can we play another one? And then you play another. Like, that's what I do in most Blitz Armouries now is I get to a second game before people have finished. At the last draft, RTN at at Canberra, I finished two CC games with Ryan Lewis-Jones before someone finished their draft game next to us. Why? Because we were playing for fun. Did we misplay? I don't think we misplayed that much. Do you get what I mean? Like, we just playing with no stakes and I think sometimes you just got to take your, the pressure off and just play and let yeah. it be like let whatever happen. you might find you actually play better
1: there's also the fact that um, and this is this is the difference between in quotes experienced versus less, less experienced player and faster players and slower players right so your, your experienced players tend to be faster and your slower players tend to be the inexperienced players they did a, I think they did a study in this on this once. I think it was actually chess-based as well. But basically, they had inexperienced people playing chess and experienced people playing chess, and they asked these players to verbalise their thoughts as they, um, <coughs> as they were playing. Right. And yeah. you can see a very clear difference in terms of the patterns of, of thought. Um, with with experienced players, they'll be like, okay, so I have three three options. This move, this move, this move. I'm gonna think five moves in advance for, for these three options and choose the best one. Whereas uh, an experienced player will be like, oh, I have I have twelve pieces. <laughs> um, I'll have. Does this pawn move do anything? No, he's attacking my queen. So I'm gonna. How about this pawn? So they'll think about every single piece. They think more uh, more breadth. Whereas um, the experienced player thinks less breath but deeper.
3: Yeah. Mm. Right.
2: So that's in fab, fab that's very terms, I, I think what you're saying is in very fab terms, people I think do think about things they can't control. Yeah. Or they can information they can't see. Like realistically, if someone's attacking you for three and you got four cards, the choice should be as easy as what do I need to pitch, and then what's the weakest card yeah. in my hand. Damage wise, if you're a damp like gonna try and right, it should be fairly it should be fairly straightforward. Thinking your whole turn next turn is irrelevant, like when you're just blocking a three attack. If you need to block it, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And some of it is the pre-thinking, like knowing in advance if they throw a snatch at me. I'm saving my boots for the snatch. So when it happens, if you know the opponent's deck... So, like, uh, Crown of Province, a great example. Save that shit for a Command and Conquer. Like, it's a no-brainer. If the deck yeah. in front of you plays Command and Conquer, the minute you see a Command and Conquer, you shouldn't have to think it should be... <laughs> crown, Arsenal out, take
1: four. Yeah, That should to be a, a... To a certain extent, right? There might still be a situation where you don't want to do that, but that's sort sure. of where your intuition, your intuition comes in. Okay, that this is a situation... But you're like, and you know what? It's better it. to lose my art. Yeah. Sure. Um, but yeah, I agree. But there's with
2: like the 90% of the time, crown into yeah, exactly. uh, is the most yeah. optimal. Some of those decisions should be made pre game. I mean, a warrior, it's easy. We have this fridge. You need to like settle with yourself before you play that this is going in front of on hits. Yeah. Versus Prism, I should never block unless it's an edition. Like, there's some of these decisions you should
1: have in mind.
2: Yep. And, it, yes, it takes some experience. Yeah, so, again, <laughs>
1: com- seems like the theme of the night, but coming back down to reps, um, if, yeah. you know, if you're a slower player and that's something you, you're trying to improve, then um, just getting that those reps in definitely helps.
0: So when you were playing against your family friend, Kenny, and you've 20, 30 games deep, yet to win a game, you know, when you got that first victory, like, Did like was it a light bulb moment or was it just like was he slipping up or did you finally start did things start making sense in the game like how how did your learning curve once you started beating him how did that sort of transpire? It
1: wasn't so much a light bulb moment, but it was just um, things slowly starting to become clearer to me, like decisions being easier Mm. to make as well. Um, So I'm not going to be looking at blocking my two blocks when it's just irrelevant. Small things like that, um, that just adds up yeah. together. Okay. And so
0: you've been around in Flesh and Blood, obviously, since, you know, the very <laughs> early Sydney calling.
1: Yeah.
0: How have you seen the Sydney Flesh and Blood scene transform over uh, since then? Like, uh, what have you noticed? What are some things you've noticed, like game growing, game changing, community, like events? You know, did, did you think a couple of years ago that you'd be bloody travelling to America to play in the first Pro Tour and there was a world... Like, talk me through that. Like, the um, evolution that you've seen of the game in such a short amount of
1: time. I mean, the short of it is, like, it's just continued to grow and grow and grow, right? Um, but in terms of the way it's grown, I feel like there's... To some extent, there's just... In Sydney, there's different pockets of players, mm. Um, which means that like, there's just sub-communities within a community. Not that there's no interaction between the communities, but um, uh, I, I guess because Sydney's just sprawled out so wide, yeah. like, that's just a natural thing, right? Um, but one thing I found that's really great is that the communities are really close, uh, both as a collective and in your individual um, yeah. pockets as well, uh, which is something I really appreciate. Yeah. Um, not in my old games i used to be a very competitive player not to say that i didn't enjoy playing with those guys love the loved the community in those games as well but um i'm finding myself now i still want to be competitive but a part of me is also like i just want to enjoy the game yeah so i i used to especially when i first started playing fab as well um I used to be a lot more poker-faced when I, when I play games, even in Armouries. It's just like a habit that I have. And um, I feel like more recently, um, I'm more willing to search a sort of, you know, take it easy, chat, joke around a little bit more, uh, yep. more than I used
2: to anyway. Something I did hear that about other card games, um, it's like at the high level competitive, like if, if yep. you and Hayden were rank one and two in another game, you would not be friends. Because it's like cutthroat. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, like in Fab, that really doesn't exist. Like we get smashed by certain players all the time in locals. You know, um, it's really the same sort of ten players that top every pro quest in in, in our yeah. like. Like there's differences, but it's like a, there's a group of very good players. Yeah. But no one really cares, or or they're not assholes. Like none of them are people you can't hit up and go, hey, like did I misplay or can you give me some, you know what I mean? Like it's not cutthroat enough that we don't get that like camaraderie.
1: Yes. And that's something I really appreciate. And I feel like every community sort of goes, oh, you know, this is such a great community, Mm. but I really do think so. Um, This is true for the flesh and blood community in Sydney.
0: Yeah, well, I met you at my third ever armory out there at RCP yeah, yeah. Games many moons ago. Yeah, rest uh, in peace, RCP. Ro- <laughs> rocking Hatchet Bolton
1: back then. Oh, yeah? Um, I don't even remember what I was running back then. First time I met this Roy, line? he was he had, no. a, he had a
2: freaking spreadsheet out with all his foils <laughs> that he's missing. Bravo. Like, what are you doing? He's like, <laughs> I'm missing these foils. I'm like, dude, I have all those. I oh, think I remember that's
0: that, the yeah. first interaction we had is I got you some foils. You You smashed me with Bravo, OG Bravo in Blitz. I That's still, right. I still remember it. You absolutely
1: creamy, and I was running Hatchet Bolton. That was my. I won't call it fun, brother deck, but that was my fun brother deck. Yeah, you play a That's, lot of pet decks. Yeah, yeah. Which, by the
2: way, is cool because if you played your best deck all the time, you'd do like you'd probably, you'd probably win way more armories. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, you'll go to an armory and you got like Olden with with, like, three potions of luck out. <laughs> like, what are you doing?
1: <laughs> They're like, Law Bounty. I'm going to pulverize for 14 for
2: free. I'm like, oh, that's what you're doing. Think Which think
1: locally I'm known as the player who tries to play Pursuit of Knowledge with
2: Pummel. <laughs> <laughs> dude, dude, I played my my Pummel deck. That's an insane combo. Yeah. It's a blue, and then it's a nourishing emptiness without the downside, and you can Pummel it. Exactly. I've played. Um, <laughs> i played Ninja Pummel as
1: well. Yes, <laughs> that <laughs> used to be a thing, right? Ira Pummel uh, y- used to exist. I'm not sure actually. I can't remember. But um, yeah, definitely. I think the the key is Pummel. <laughs> I, I think Pummel, it's not underrated, right? But but
2: it is. It's a generic. So I know someone that won I, when I know. I don't know them. I've seen them online. Their deck list for like a top eight pro quest on Dory had a blue Pummel and a Command and Conquer in the deck, and he, he would always pitch stack them, and that's how you got temper off Briars and things, or Fi. If you, pu- like, by the way, there's no Fi or Briar in the world expecting a Pummel off a Dory, you know what I mean? But if you get Command and Conquer Pummel into an aggro deck, usually their arsenal is like an Art of War or a Tome, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you Pummel a Command and Conquer into fire, and they lose an Art of War, how much damage is that representing, really? Like yes, you don't get to do your dory thing, but the guy has some sense. Like it's not the whole deck is not pummels, but he's got that yeah. combo in the deck and literally any deck in the game can run it.
1: Yeah, it's I mean it's generic and it's very is, powerful. It's, the thing is it's disruptive, right? And but
2: sometimes and it's your only chance to win. Like if you're a mid-range into an aggro, it's very tricky or has been for a while to get anywhere, but if you take two cards out of anyone's hand <laughs> in fab that deck is not going to do well that yeah. turn.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's only so many dis- heroes with disruptive abilities, and I think that's what makes Pummel quite mm. um, attractive. Mm. Talk
0: yeah. to us about um, Pro
1: Tour one. Oh, the nightmare! Yeah,
0: <laughs> talk <laughs> us about it. Like the, the whole team was a had great, a nightmare. It's a great trip. Right? Yeah, talk the whole to team didn't. Perform as well. But as talk to hope. us about the deck. How you guys came up with that deck, and yeah, talk us through. I, th- I find
1: it quite interesting. And how um, you so I was doing a lot of my testing with Phil and with Fu as well, and we were all on the same deck, just working on that Lexi deck. And a
0: highly disruptive taxing, yeah, Lexi yeah. deck. Yeah.
1: Um. So I think Phil was actually the first person to start playing Lexi. Um. At the time, it was. I think it went from a lightning ice build to just pure lightning. And at some point um, with new cards, we started incorporating, just started going more and more heavy ice. And at some point, I think (coughs) earlier than that, we just went into all the green arrows. I think Phil's probably talked about that already. Um, But yeah, basically the idea was uh, Starvo was um, just predominant in the in the meta, and the idea was if they don't have a four card hand, then it's going to be very hard for them to fuse. So that's the premise of the of the deck, at least when I first started building it. And so effectively, I just wanted to play cards which got, made sure that they got rid of um, cards from hands. So like pay or discard. Yeah, so Pay or Discard, which is your Winter Spite. So I would prioritise those over an arrow, which Bravo can go, okay, Starvo can go, I'll just take it and I'll just come back, right? So that was sort of the idea going into, into the field. Um, my first game just started horribly and it just <laughs> it just spiralled from there. Um, so my first game was against Starvo. I was like, great, this is what I practised for. Um, and in practice... The deck felt quite I mean it was still inconsistent, but it felt consistent enough and i was <coughs> I was winning 50 50 against people who knew what I was doing, so I felt pretty comfortable. So in my first game against Bravo uh Starvo rather, mm. um, can't remember the exact thing that happened, but effectively turn one, I played um, I played exposed to the elements. I destroyed his uh, starvos crown. I was like, great. <laughs> I've got this game, right. And then next minute, I'm like, um, next turn, my starboard opponent goes, natural fuse, crippling crush. Like, okay, that's Ouch. fine. Yep. Ouch. Um, so I basically lost the turn. I'm like, okay, I'll come back from that. Next turn he goes, natural fuse, spinal crush. Like, okay, all right, next turn. Natural fuse, spinal crush again. Next turn, natural fuse, spinal crush again. And then capped it off with another natural fuse, crippling crush. Yeah, And... Naturally, I lost that game, right? I was like, I'm done, right? Um, so from there, after that... <laughs> with I no crown. So he wasn't... That no was, crown. Luck, he, was just he wasn't fixing hands, yeah. That's crazy. I think um, first two fuses, he was using a pulse, so it kind of, you know, made sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was... The fact that he drew into those... Um, the best cards in the deck, nearly, yeah. yeah. Any what worse
2: hurt. is what, Oak and Old is worse, would yeah.
1: you say? yeah. <laughs> so, I mean... Yeah, so basically it wasn't the fact that he was able to natural fuse. It was the natural fuse with the disruptive effects of those red cards. <coughs> so after that, I uh, paired into an Odin, which at the time was an auto loss matchup for me. So um, not much to say there, but I just died horribly. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think I faced a Viserai, which I won against. And then I faced another... Mate uh, Frank from uh, from Canberra, which I tested with as well a lot. And um, I think I just... He knew exactly what I was doing. We've play tested that match a lot. So he was able to beat me in that game. And from there, I just dropped. Yeah. Um, just because I wanted to play the calling the next mm. day and just do other stuff because I was getting nowhere. Do you feel like
2: the deck choice was wrong? Or do you feel like the meta was different than you expected or is a big tournament like that just because everyone's quite good it's just luck like there's that variance of what your matchups are
1: I don't know if it was the wrong deck choice I still feel like I if I went back I probably would make the exact same decisions um, what I would say is maybe there was an issue with my playtesting right so in my playtesting the deck was very consistent and even if my opponent had some crazy turns, I was able to, um, to, to win some games. And <coughs> on the, not so much during the PT, but at the calling, I started getting into a lot of bad variant situations and it just wasn't working out for me. But as far as the PT goes, I mean, I faced an Odin, which I wasn't expecting too many of. Um, I lost to bad variants against the Bravo player. And um, this riot one, and then I lost to a mate. So I don't feel like I lost three out of four games. Mm. It's not a good showing, but I don't think that was necessarily because of a bad choice, right? Yeah. Deck, but um, with with the calling the next day, I definitely ran into a lot of bad variants, and which was not the case in my testing. So maybe there was some issues with the way I was. Testing. The
2: ranges sort of. Compared to Oldham, or compared to Guardian in general, Ranger's more, way more susceptible to variance
1: than a Guardian player is. <coughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which is why I probably am why shelving. Why do it again? <laughs> for now, Azale- anyway. So uh, Supposedly, Azalea
2: has some legs right
1: now. <laughs> Look, I love the deck. I, I would still play it. But yep. for now, I think I'm just going to shelve and see what else comes out for, for Ranger. Mm. So, Aussie Nats coming up. Hmm excited for it
2: rematch Hayden versus Roy how good would that be that that would be fun
1: (laughs) I I would be keen for that yeah which means I make top eight right (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah are you gonna be (laughs) have you picked the deck yeah Yeah. um I have not picked a deck I have a short list and it's definitely most likely going to be one of the ice heroes so um Odin Icelander uh, Icelander and Lexi you like uh, Disruption. Least like, I, I like Disruption, yeah. What's your views on the meta right now? Uh, it's kind of hard to say. Was it? I haven't been keeping up with news, but apparently there was some news about Prism as well. Having actually... I wouldn't. So it was ProQuest
2: Season 1. Yeah. And supposedly they missed. They gave LL points to Starvo instead of Prism. My take on that, if that's true is there's probably other mistakes <laughs> so if they went through but they won't go through every yeah. single right I don't think they'll change it yeah, she's two yeah. points off okay um, so but but there's a chance that correct like there's battle yeah. hardens and and proto calling a battle hardened before
1: nationals so yeah well let's assume that Prism's still around but yeah honestly I'm not sure what to think of the meta right now it, it's very broad i think mm. there's a lot of viable decks like you've got your fires which beat up on prism um and in, in my experience loses to oldham yeah right? um, they lose to dory man i still haven't <laughs> been losing to fire on dory it's amazing i feel like this is really strong right now but uh and and beats up on prism but prism beats up on a lot of other decks does um, iceland absolutely cream viscerai though I wouldn't say creams, but I mean... Does Scour not
2: ruin Viscerai's life? <laughs> uh. If you don't know people listening, sc- if I'm right, Scour is the one that pops auras, right? Yes. So you can pay one for every rune chant and yep. they blow up as arcane into Viscerai. Is that correct? Yes. So if you arsenal one of those when they do, what's that thing that makes but I four mean it freaking... it
1: depends on the situation on and how you're playing. Very
2: life. situational. Yeah. Yep. Like... It's not a good card to have in hand as Icelander if they have no rune
1: chance. Because, I mean, Viscera can still come in with a lot of attacks, right? Like, just come in for four, come in for another four, and then 2-2 two, two with, the, with the blade. Um, and that's not counting rune chance. So, are you spending all your cards to get rid of rune chance, blocking the arcane barrier and... Or disrupting it? instead. Yeah, like yeah. It, It's situational. Yeah. It's... Definitely an interesting thought, but I don't know if I'd say it um, You know, it ruins viscerize
2: I think it probably time. ruins OTK viscerized day, <laughs> But that doesn't exist That anymore. doesn't exist. Yeah.
1: I mean, they can definitely build up Rune Chance, which they probably shouldn't. But not the same level, right? Yeah, not at the same level. Mm.
0: Yeah. Is there a rogue deck that you think has a spot think, in this I meta? I think Iceland, pe- there is the rogue deck. That
1: people aren't,
0: you know... Hold on at the moment. But he doesn't want to give it up that you think would come can out. I
1: suggest at all?
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was just hoping you'd say Bolton. I'm not going to lie. Fair enough. Of all metas... Bolton, Bolton's a second to dot all. Okay. We'll take I, that. I think
2: of all the metas we've had, you can play whatever you want right now. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's not... You're, like, Bolton may not be the strongest deck, but it's not going to get
1: two-shot by Starvo either. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not... But to answer your question, I don't really know if there's any sleeper decks per se. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of decks are viable. Um, I'm choosing my decks just based on the least number of um, bad matchups. But that said, with the with the format where um, there's now blitz taking taking up some of the games, like maybe maybe that's not as important a decision mm. point decision point rather. What would you play in Blitz at Worlds? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I usually. When was the last time you I went to like a Blitz
2: Armory? Blitz. Sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say. When was the last time you played? When Blitz? he beat me.
1: Yeah. I've been going a lot of Oldham in Blitz. Okay. So it's still very good without even without Crown. Yeah, but it's a completely different deck. Are you pitching Yellow Earths. Is that the what people do now? I'm not sure I haven't played Blitz in so long. Because I
2: think that's the the build now without crown as you go, like yellow earth card, blue ice card. (laughs) Did the double D react? Yeah, yeah. And then... I mean, that was always
1: possible, right? Like, you usually just chuck into Autumn's Touch. Yes. And that acts as the double pitch. Yeah. I was entertaining the idea of using Peak in Autumn. Yes. Um, Just, again, just going very defensive. CC or... In, in Blitz. Okay. Uh, it, it's not going to be a good deck, but I just, I was just entertaining the idea. I, I think that's mm-hmm. where that helmet belongs.
2: I don't think it's an Icelander helmet at all. Because <laughs> <laughs> Icelander can disrupt on your turn. Yeah, yeah. So it feels like maybe that I mean, type it's of amazing helmet in is an like, Icelander, though. Mm-hmm. Sure. I, I just feel like it's probably, now that you don't have Crown and Blitz, it's probably, it's very punishing to have to. Like, there's some decks that literally don't do much with three cards. Like, li- like yeah. uh, Guardian's one of them. Like, Guardian loses the ability to pummel and stuff if it's a three-card hand. You know what I mean? But maybe it's a Lexi card. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, if you play if you play Peak and Lexi, <laughs> imagine this guy wins worlds. He's got <laughs> Coronet Peak on Lexi, full uh, blue deck. He's just <laughs> unfortunately, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> So, um, who's your favourite Australian flesh and blood YouTuber? That's what I want to know. Oh. oh. He doesn't watch either
1: of our channels. Hit the button. Hit the button. <laughs> Hit Which it. one? Team? No, no. no. Team. Yazi. 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 <laughs> How can I choose between the two? <laughs> Yazi. Oh. Do you actually consume much content? Mainly games. Many games. Yeah. Um, I do listen to podcasts mostly on, um, on commute. Hmm. Or if I'm just working on home at home, then I just have on the side. So I'll be like sort of tuning in and out. Yeah. But I won't be really focused on it.
2: Arsenal pass. Those guys are all right. <laughs> <laughs> that was a legit cough. <laughs> <laughs> we don't believe. Clipped, someone clipped that. <laughs> Send that to Hayden. <laughs> this is what Roy thinks of your podcast.
1: No, uh, definitely like listening to them. Um that that's yeah. Arsenal Pass is one of the ones I listen to on commute.
2: Mm. Oh, look, yeah. it's the the premier I think for competitive players because it's not it's not super high level nerdy yeah. boring either. It's like anyone can listen to them and pick up a few things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think actually what we discussed before is probably more valuable than most things I've heard about the game in general. Mm. Is those th- questions are probably the difference if you're going to get like big improvements in your game is asking those questions. Blitz yeah. NCC, where's this game going to go? <laughs> like, what's my game plan into that? What's he probably trying to do to me? Especially in your local like meta, you should know after a few weeks what people are playing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the question should be, like, and if you don't know the answer, you're probably not paying enough attention and trying to, like then you might prompt yourself to remember what Iceland is actually doing How often, like, you know, is it
1: frost hexes? Is it... um, But there is a point in saying that you need to be careful of adapting your play style and your thought patterns to your local meta. Oh, for sure. When you go into a bigger event. Hmm. That said, I mean, a lot of... There's so many decks online and just so much of information available that... um, to a certain extent, you can probably do that. If you see an Icelander deck, you can probably expect it to be... Roughly what you've
2: seen online. Yeah. I, I think it's more your local meta, don't take any percentages out of it. Like, if you think there's not going to be a lot of Guardians because your local meta doesn't play a lot of Guardians, yeah. that's wrong. Because, <laughs> like, Sydney, I remember when Starvo was all that. You wouldn't see that many Starvos at Armoury. Like, no, you know what I mean? That's
1: because Sydney's just full Prisms.
2: Well, but also just I don't think people care much to super spike every armoury. Like, I, even at our secret, never felt like that. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, yes, the good players tend to win, but I never, f- like, definitely Hayden would not be playing the same deck every week. He'd definitely be playing, like, he'd bring Reinar, even though it's not the strongest deck in the room. But he definitely, w- the, most people's priority was to have fun. And still yeah. is in Sydney. Most of the... like skirmishes, enough people want to win
1: armories. You don't tend to get a good metric of like what the meta is. I would confess I've been playing the same deck just nonstop though. Recently, <laughs> I just too lazy to build a new deck.
2: Well, it's also like if you if you're trying to get reps because you yeah, g- yeah. you know what I mean. You yeah. shouldn't be switching. Like if you're pretty sure it's gonna be this deck you're playing at a pro tour or something, you shouldn't be. It's not the time <laughs> to like build another deck.
1: I don't. I don't feel like going to armories to test is the best thing anyway. Oh. Um, I feel like you just go to armories to have fun. If you're serious about testing, then you should be having a You should be testing it separately, and mm. the the mind the mindset and the is different. Wh- how you do it is quite different. Mm.
0: Explain that if you don't mind. Say a bit more on that, just so people understand what you mean with mindset with testing outside
1: of. Well, I mean, you just. You, you can still do this with armories, but it's a lot harder because it's not planned and you can run into random decks, right? But with testing, you usually have a very specific goal in mind. I think they talk about a, a decent amount in Arsenal Pass as well. But like you might, you might be testing a specific matchup, you might be having trouble with that said matchup, and you want to try and work out how to uh, work around it. So you might be adding a new card, seeing how that works, right? Yep. So you might not even. Especially in the early stages of um, testing, you might not even be finishing your games. You'll mm. be going, okay, five five rounds in. Okay, I've seen enough. This isn't working or this is I'm working. I'm going to lose or oh, I want to change yeah. what I'm doing. I yeah. want to change something and, and you start a new game. So it's literally you're testing and working out your strategy. You're not playing a game. Whereas in Armouries... <clears> you finish the round. Yeah, you, you, there's prizes. Yeah. yeah. How many times a week are you typically testing like that? Um, It really ranges and it depends on people's um, availability. But we try to do at least two times a week. Um, Depends on how, again, how free people are. Like We'll start at, say, 7.30 and get up to 10 o'clock at night. So not a lot of testing, but um, usually things ramp up as we get closer to events. Do you go via the cams or TTS? Um, Depends, again, on... (laughs) Everyone just has a different preference. I personally uh, quite enjoy TTS. I know it's a little bit clunky and a lot of people have trouble with it, um, but personally I have no problems with it, so that's my go-to. I definitely don't have a great um, (coughs) setup for webcams, but I do... Because I have to use my phone as a webcam, so it just... It's annoying to use a phone as a webcam. It's <laughs> annoying, it runs really hot and it just kills my battery. So I try to avoid that, but otherwise... I have a few you can buy.
0: <laughs> so what's your strategy into Uprising Draft? So that's a bit
1: harder to practice over webcam, um, I guess. What's your... It's just in-person draft yep. testing. Um, are you talking about... Just Straight. broader strokes,
0: yeah. What's your strategy? What What do you think of the hero choices? Do you have a particular hero Is you try crap? and force? I think it's crap. Mm,
2: here <laughs> we go. I think it's fine. I think it's okay. I think it's fun.
1: I, I'm not having fun with it competitively. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I, I don't think I have anything new to say aside from what's already been said. Um, like, all three heroes are viable. Um, if you had a choice. If I had a choice? Yeah. I definitely personally... Gravitate towards Dromai. Okay, interesting. Um, number of the main reason main reasons being that Phi tends to be picked quite highly, mm. so I don't want to um, compete in that space. And I personally feel that Icelander is the weakest of the three. Wow! In draft, in draft, I think you can probably comfortably win like two out of three games per draft with Icelander, but if you're trying to win three out of three, I find it very tough. Mm. But that's just a personal opinion. I could definitely be wrong, and I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, better Icelander players than myself. Um, so those two things uh, combine plus um, just my... She's usually of, the least picked. <clears throat> she's usually the least mm. picked. I Which find is crazy, because
2: it seems like you get less Icelander cards, though.
1: But people shy away from her. <laughs> yeah. like from dromai. Yeah. So, dromai has I feel has an advantage over icelander, um but is weak against fire. Mm. But I don't feel like it's an auto loss against fire. What do you specific so versus
2: icelander, you have some natural tools like your ash wings are just very good against icelander. Yep. She doesn't have any good way to clear them or, you know, and you get ab, right? Yep. What's your what What are you specific? So if you you go Droma, what are you specifically prioritizing to be able to beat Fire? What cards? Uh,
1: that would be uh, is it centipede the big Embermore su- Embermore. Yeah. That are two for eight, two for eight. Yeah, yeah. That that kills Fire. <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't have to be the red one, right? Any, no. Any of them is amazing. Blue is six. Blue, anyway. Blue is probably my favorite actually, because you pitch it blocks for three. It's crazy good. Yeah. I I like blue followed by red and then yellow. Mm. Um, But that's definitely the card, go-to card.
2: Because that's where I find... second I draft Droma, I know I can 2-1 any draft. It's getting the (laughs) fire win. Like, it depends. If it's only fire... There's
1: some really good dragons as well, right? Like, Yenderai is really annoying.
2: Yeah, and and Kyloria just forcing them to block is great. Uh, I think, I, I don't know... The format feels clunky, but I think also what, what I'm only drafting. Clunky? You have like for for a long period of people that just force their favorite hero because it's like a casual draft, right?
1: But, but then it does feel like. Be, I mean, that's the case for any any sure. set, right? But the,
2: the clunky bit feels like because the three heroes are so drastically different, their play style. Like you have, here's what I think. I think Fi is a little bit too strong in draft. Even when there's four Fires at the table, one of them tends to take the pod, yep. even with four.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's the easiest to build because you can put three okay Phoenix. Yeah, Fi, right. But
2: it's not just okay. It's just naturally having that weapon, just having something to pitch into that swings both the other decks don't have. <laughs> so f- for variance and consistency, if you do get a crap hand on Fi but there's a blue. You, you can literally like off four yeah. blues on fire, still deal eight to 10 damage and draw cards out of, you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: and you're more okay with getting the r- yellow cards as well.
2: 100%. Well, draw my, if you, drew, like uh, in the last draft, I, it was me versus Hayden. Like I drew two hands in a row that were blue and yellow. Yeah. And I, they weren't, I had five blues in the deck, but too many yellows. And it just doesn't work because you're not making Ash. They also don't hit for very, it's, And Iceland, I think, is worse. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Like you cannot draft the yellow spells (laughs) like (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like they're not enough value and it's crazy hard. Like a good Icelander deck wins at the pod, but like any mediocre Icelander can't, but a mediocre fire can. Like I feel like fire has this massive like window of it's okay, throw some jank in and Um, you'll be fine. Yeah,
1: I think in the one of the road to Nats, draft ones um, I think it was first pod there was I think there was like one Icelander and did that she No, <laughs> <laughs> There's still not yeah
2: still s- not enough not enough yeah Jeez. well I don't think the best Icelander deck like I, I don't think a pre-constructed Icelander deck can necessarily beat a decent Dromai deck in draft either it's like the draft we were at recently when I had double Uvia, Like, what are you going to do? I'm just pitching every red I have and making two dragons a turn. And you don't have a... There's like no easy way to pop a six health dragon. Don't even need to.
1: I, I was <laughs> playing uh, that same RTN. Yeah. I was playing Nick in the top eight, I think it was. And he had one Uvia out. I just died. It's enough, yeah,
2: yeah. Because it's just an engine. <clears throat> And that's what I mean. I think you could take like a like a blitz deck with no legendaries. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like one majestic and build it yourself and you still struggle against Thromai. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Like a Themi is the same. It's like themai is out. Now you literally have to take a turn off to deal with it which is the whole point of Icelander is waning, mooning twice yeah. a turn kind of thing.
1: You don't even get to do that. I uh, did that to Paul Hayden uh, <laughs> in one of the drafts. I played a uh, themai mm. against yeah, Icelander and then Two turns later, played a second one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't,
2: See, in Constructed, I don't even play it because I've never. I'd, like, in, when I make a Blitz deck or a CC deck, I'm just not worried about Icelander enough to throw Themi in. I'm not even worried about Kano enough because with Sand Cover and Oasis, it's just so strong. Just against Oasis arcane. is enough to just. Really That's what, yeah, but Sand Cover yeah. 2, like, so you can, yeah, double, in the instant step, go eight, yep. heal one. Like, it's nine value for one resource. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, with no ash, pitch one into the Oasis, make the ash for the sand cover. It's stupid. Yeah. I got I got Mitch. Hey, Mitch. Um, full red line, Dromai. No blues. And nice. I beat him because his, um, his Blazing Aether came in for zero. Because <laughs> he came in the... Like, Blazing Aether, for those listening who don't know it counts the damage you've done for the turn and then adds it all into this spell, right? <laughs> so, but he did zero because he kept trying and I either had an oasis or a sand cover. So by the time, so he, he found the oa- the blazing off the top. So he's like, oh, cool. Puts it in banner zone, cracks boots. I'm like, here we go. But
1: I had, a, had yeah. an oasis and a sand cover. It's kind of obnoxious how you have a whole, you have a, deck that's just red which is Kano's dreams and it's,
2: <laughs> not, not. it's not it's not <laughs> and side. then by the way I did not have a semi if I did have a semi <laughs> but it feels win more in constructive it feels like I don't need this dragon <laughs> in the deck I think it's actually better to have against like guardians or anyone playing Reacts. like yeah you have a semi so that when you Kyloria they can't sink that, yeah. that's better yeah absolutely or they can't oasis or they can't sand cover yeah. like it actually works in the mirror better than Wizard. Let Wizard. You actually want Wizard to get baited in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the minute they pop their boots, or you just tumble tie, as Paul well knows, just melt the boots. Because they never let them melt. They pop them in response. But you usually catch them at a time they don't want to. I don't think Kano wins without the boots. Like, it's very, very hard. Mm, very hard, yeah. Because you're relying way more on your luck of the draw
0: to do it. So, since you're a. Competitive player, like a very competitive player, high level player, competing in worlds, went to Pro Tour one, second in Nats, calling top eights. Are you happy with the current flesh and blood OP structure? Is there anything that you would want to see changed or adapted moving format, uh, moving on, uh, forward through next year? Are you quite content with the number of possible Pro Tours we'll have and the way it's all structured?
1: I mean, honestly, I'm just happy to play. Yeah, um, and I think this was something you discussed with Phil and that uh, in the previous episode, in terms of having uh, split limited and constructed. Okay. <coughs> uh, if honestly, I quite like that idea personally. Um, it just tests something different, right? Like it's <coughs> you're testing with, especially with the world's format now with um, with as well, it's sort of like the best overall player versus. Um, if you have constructed and limited split, it's you know your best limited player and then your you know your best construct player. Um, so I mentioned before, I feel more comfortable with constructed, so that's you know so maybe that's sort of reason why I'm gravitating towards. I like this idea, mm. but that said, I'm happy with any format. Um, just happy to play. To be honest,
2: I, I uh, my opinion on that is. The game's not big enough. Like, let's say you're gonna get a <coughs> thousand people at a pro at a pro tour. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I don't feel like as a company they would want to split the player pool because right now you don't have a very known king of constructed and a known king of. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm telling you now, if they ran constructed only pro tours and every single time Hayden Dale won, there'd be an argument to go split format because yeah, there's clearly like or. It's constantly the same, like eight people or sixteen people alternating, because I think Magic has some of that. Is like, there's so the game's been out for so long and the pro scene's fairly well established. There's clearly people like that should be playing draft because they're <laughs> yeah <laughs> like like that natural talent that the reps that they've put in but I just feel like the game's too small because I'd yeah, also absolutely. love no, to see a world yeah. champion at Blitz. Like, I'd love to see it because it's like chess. Chess has that, right? It's like got the fast format. It's yeah. a whole different skill set to the, yeah. to the, you know, be like, uh, is there unlimited time games in chess? I think there is. Is that called classic in chess? Um,
1: Not the events I played were usually the longest. I think competitive was like three always
2: hours. have, yeah, they have a time limit just because they got to televise the thing, right? But yeah. it's usually like yeah, three hours is enough yeah. time to sit and think. Like they sit and think for half an hour, don't they? Like they calculate, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then they play ten moves really quick. But I'd love to see a imagine going to pro tour and there's like blitz and there's a champion, just blitz. Because by the way, they already have that. So like there was a commoner event big yeah. prize on the line. There was a UPF event, big prize on the line. They obviously do cosplay, which is a whole side of the community, just not it's competitive, it's just not the cardboard. Um it wouldn't be when they if they had five thousand people at an event it would be super smart to go that there's a blitz calling yeah. I, I'd actually much rather see like a team blitz calling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that fair. was really fun. But yeah, it'd be like a whole world championship for, for draft at the same time. Like you get to pick. Mm. And just let all the very good draft players, yeah. not even that, let people play their
0: favorite format. Yeah, you know what I mean. No, no one has to feel like. I do like that they have. Um, I know you know it's not. The game hasn't been going on long enough to get a, a true Elo read, but I do like that the pathways of qualification are split between mm. constructed Elo and limited Elo. So Thank that me means, for that. <laughs> yeah. So that means moving forward, like we will see those people that are limited specialists be able to enter into these high-level events through that pathway. Now, yes, if they don't practice some sort of constructive, whether it's classic or blitz, they're going to bomb out, but I still think that's a good thing to reward people that um, are a master of a certain area Mm. Um, because the same thing, like you said, was in Magic. There were people that were limited masterminds and then you had other people that were just... Constructed masterminds But in saying that You know The limited masterminds Was still Very was good at, say, They were still very good At constructed never,
2: You never really only Play yeah. one format Like especially locally No no one's done Only ever do draft You know yeah. what I mean yeah, yeah, yeah But it's also Your favourite way to play You know Like <coughs> Maybe you just hate Drafting that set <laughs> You know what I mean But also From a balancing perspective Maybe the set's Not balanced Like Like a set can be, the constructed meta could be very good and the limited one's not as good. Yeah, and true. the last thing you want to do is start banning or restricting cards in limited. Like that ruins the format where you have to go, you can't even draft that card or that card's been eroded. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, which happened to a couple of sets. Yeah. yeah. Although but with all the bans so far, you were able to play the cards. Like that's you could play in limited if you'd... Man, yeah. imagine that. It'd be so good. <laughs> Can um, we do an R Tales of Aria draft one time where I get a Duskblade? I want to see how it goes.
1: Do you have a favorite flesh and blood set? Uh, I mean, I like different sets for different sure. reasons. Um if I had to pick just an overall favorite set. Um I don't know, maybe just the first set. Mm. I don't know if it's nostalgia or mm. like because it's, it's very first, fun. Because it's the first set. And there's a limited card pool it's more in quotes balanced, um, but just just really enjoyed that set.
2: well, that yeah. was the first set I ever liked the draft was w t r when they did the farewell events.
1: yeah I was like, wait, this is like
2: easy. You know what I mean? like I have to think of fusing and elements. It's like wanna play warrior, you can still run generics, you can still you know put a flock in the deck or a scarf yeah. or a scar. It just works like. There's no, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, You still had your moments with, like, Guardian. You had your big attacks. But then, Guardians, you could run <laughs> scar for a scar or whatever. Like, that, that, it just all works. And yeah. I think Uprising's closer to that. Where it's... Yeah, yeah. I nearly never have a deck with bobbles Unless, like, the draft was really weird. Like, four people switched midway. You know what I mean? That's only happened to me once.
0: So, there in was all f- fairness... There was a go out the Canberra. Yeah, like eight or something. He had, it was in my pod, pot of five. He had nine baubles. How did how, I uh, don't know how that he happened. He switched. It must he be He put like up rap. his hand. And, and so I was in that wacky pot of five and not a single person yeah, I remember drafted that. Dromai. Yeah. So it was this fine Icelander out of the five of us. And he was one of the Icelander players. And he literally said... Judge, I need crack bauble. Guarantee you he and had the like judge, 12 drummers. The cuts. judge like went to give him one. He goes, no, I need more. And the judge goes, how many? He goes, I need nine. <laughs> and the judge just like, I could see in the judge's face was like, did you just say
3: nine?
0: <laughs> he did not know how to respond. I, I forget what your name is, but shout out. That was so funny. We were all
1: laughing. It was a good time. I had a casual draft um, with Hayden and some of the other guys as well. And um, I think that's what's at the... Um, team calling mm. so it was like second draft I think I drafted Dromai at the time from memory and I had to put four Crack bubbles in my deck it's just
2: you can avoid it it usually yeah. means you kept yourself open for a little bit too long and other people switched and it just yeah. makes it awkward but um, really if you pick within the first three picks if you decide what hero you're going you don't need Bobbles but that said I think I did forget that I can
1: run Phoenix Flames there
2: <laughs> Man, transmogrify on on Dromai is another. You want to absolutely decimate phi You go again, blue, yellow, or red. Transmogrify into Phoenix flame into Embermore is sixteen. Like you go, you know, and and you only have to pitch a blue to do the whole thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I actually yeah. try to build similar to that. <laughs> In a draft on Wednesday, so I mm-hmm. had a few cards which worked with Phoenix Flames. So yep. had I had one Phoenix Flame in the deck, mm-hmm. and had a few of the Draconic cards which to go fetch or whatever go fetch yeah. and stuff. It worked okay. Like I think need a bit more testing in how so that kind of deck it's works. It's decent
2: in the mirror because you can pop Ashwing. Like you can summoning an Ashwing is much harder than using a Phoenix Flame as your second attack. Right? Yeah, yeah. And if you just put a Phoenix Flame in Arsenal, when you've got dragons out, you can block with your whole hand. Phoenix Flame for zero, then every dragon. It,
1: but it can also be really awkward against Fly just because of just cause how aggressive they are, right? And it doesn't block. Yeah, these don't <laughs> block. Yeah. They can do more damage than you still somehow. Like uh, consistently, I would never that. run three, but I would run them over bobbles. Yeah, percent. Yeah, yeah. I think one, but usually max. you're better off
2: with some red generics than you are. Yeah, yeah. But one or two, depending, yeah, how many draconic you drafted. Maybe that's also why I don't do well in draft. I usually uh, like I go to Dromai for similar reasons. I like playing her, and usually you're one of two or one of three, so it's fine. I think that's maybe part of the weakness. Is I'll flock to a illusionist card before I pick up. Like I don't have a strategy around the draconic phoenix flame interactions, which help you go wide. And you know, you I, don't, I don't really build I into don't feel those. like you really need it. No, what no. But I? sometimes you have to. Yeah, sure, sure. So I'll take them, but I'm not really playing around. Like I'm not thinking of how to maximize, like a rupture card or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I did build a, a meme deck. So I built a pummel dromai. I don't know if you yeah, watched you that, yeah. it, yeah. But I built a, <laughs> I built a dromai deck where, as long as you have one ash, you you, once you draw a um, rake, you do the rake trick where you pitch one into rake, then pitch into the chest, and you make three. Yeah. Um. Why do we need the ash? I'm trying to think. Yeah, that's right. And then you go one, one, one. Then you crack your gloves to make the fourth. Now you have four draconic chain links. Okay. Mm. <laughs> then you go tome, rupture card. Like it and I did it against a friend of mine on TTS, and I I pitched a blooded blooded dracai into it, and then I went center like yeah I, off tome I drew two center uh two doom breakers so like you end up going like nine attacks deep. It's very. Me like if you're gonna play that way, you play fight, right? You don't need um, to try to <coughs> do it on Droma. But people just don't expect that you get the four
1: draconic chain links off the Ashwings, yeah, and then you like have this whole back on back on uh, drafts. Mm. So if you're draft, if you're finding yourself with a lot of uh, rakes, like it's not a bad idea, as you said, to have the um rupture cards as well. Like that, one, that's one, what yeah, 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 they're um, very strong
2: because <coughs> most people will leave the like if you got three dragons out and not much else. They'll ignore them. Yep. Yep. And then you have a free, <coughs> you have a free fourth draconic. It turns on yeah, your Phoenix Flame. It turns on rupture cards.
1: I've definitely played one or two rupture cards here and there in my dream eye and yeah. pulled it off.
2: Especially the one that yeah. blows up Arsenal. Mind you, That that's the crazy thing too. Phi wins and never has to Arsenal. That pisses me off. Even at the world premiere, I'd be like, I, I was playing Icelander in Sealed yeah, And, like, the Fire players wouldn't Arsenal. they just blah just attack. And I'm like, you're playing aggro. You've got to Arsenal the card and come big, right? I'm obviously wanting to freeze their Arsenal. But that's not why they weren't doing it. It's just the deck does so much damage without an Arsenal. <laughs> like, yeah. Briar can't yeah. do that. Like, Briar's very, like, mono-red aggro, but Briar has the Arsenal to have a big turn, you know? And I think Fire well, I mean, to go, like... They need Heroic. Have a big turn, right? <laughs> no, but they still like you. You want an arsenal on on sure, Briar, sure. to really have I mean, a proper. I mean, turn. FI wants
1: an arsenal, right? Like they don't need it. Yeah. That yeah, but that's
2: that's like, actually part a of in the top. That's crazy to me is that you can like win a game and never have to use that. <laughs> like, what, what's going on? Mind you, smart fire players. Um, not that there's that many of them. But <laughs> yeah,
0: smart.
3: F-
2: no, no, in constructed, you don't play fire. Constructed, oh, hell no, yeah. Um, smart fire players <laughs> You're will use yeah. like,
0: what are you doing? It's a d- they'll <laughs> you use this.
2: the fire ability, fetch the phoenix flame, arsenal. That's yeah, yeah, 99% of the time the right play instead of poking me for one,
1: yeah, right, yeah, absolutely, yeah,
2: because that can be your chain starter. So if you draw and one of the cards says it has to be the second like you, if you played a red card this turn, do this yeah,
1: hedge
2: you really want that Phoenix flame for zero immediately. Or if you have a, what's it called spreading flames, it's already one. So you can play spreading flames and immediately into your Phoenix. flame. So a lot of like fire players miss that, <coughs> that you should arsenal that Phoenix flame that you're not getting value out of. You're just poking for one. Yeah, absolutely. You're better off yep. with a fifth card next turn. Yeah. Especially you if you have
1: like, if you have only one Phoenix flame in your, grave then it doesn't matter right that no but if you you have two then it makes a big difference potentially
2: yeah it just but but also it will fix your hand being able to play a red yeah you, you start with a draconic chain link you know what i mean like that's that's the point yeah also yeah. you can play it for zero pass respond with a with a um art of war deal a free damage anyway but again you've got a combat chain started yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's way trickier than just every time end a combat chain poke for one. Like, that one doesn't win you the game ever, but I feel like having it will fix more hands than dealing one will. Yeah, you know? no, I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, guys, I've got to go. i got a lot of stuff to do. Uh, it's been we're, awesome. We're an hour 46
0: minutes in. Oh I wow. feel like I'm a better flesh and blood player. <laughs> I, I actually, I learned something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
2: that's good. That's and good to, to be learn. honest, if you ever get the time... So the data thing's interesting. If you ever make a tool that people can like punch in. Also, if you need help with stuff like that, like I'm sure we can find community members that are willing to chip in. Even if that's type of data tool, you'd like access to something. So AI learning stuff especially would marry up very well with people like Felt Table or Flesh and Blood Online that have a basic AI that plays the game because – in a perfect world, they slap that info into a supercomputer and run it for a million years in an hour and then yep. we get a lot of data, you know what I mean? But if you ever like want to do that, let me know. Yeah, for sure. we for can sure. help. But the other thing with the questions, I think like um, Chris Buley, because you're probably watching, invite this man to write an article about that. That's I'm serious. You don't get people talking about what questions to ask. And it doesn't need to be complex, but exactly what we discussed, would make a great Fab TCG mm. article or a Wraith Times article. Like when I – this is how I approach the game. I sit down. This is the pre-game questions. One, two, three. These are the my-turn questions. These are the questions I ask on there. But that's like building that kind of flowchart, logical – because then, see, those things yep. you could actually repeat and become a better player. Do, do you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think – Working in the jobs you do, maybe the way your brain's wired is why you do the work you do. That logical, um, like that logical way of thinking and problem yep. solving, is is um, robotic to a point, but it works if you just keep repeating. Because reps alone are not good. Yeah, yeah. Reps you with a plan about it, which is why I think you are a very good player. And I think those questions are, would help a lot of people. Man, some people print that shit out and go to an armory and be like, okay. That, that, that. And that's a good way to learn to be better.
1: What do you think?
0: I think, yeah, the first question I'll be looking at <laughs> is Is my opponent hot? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean that's always Should I
0: ask them out <laughs> for a drink? <laughs> Remember the one guy at the
2: table that's married is the guy with these questions. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> just having some fun. No, thanks, Roy. What, what's uh, the game? It. Um Smash killer pass That's
3: (laughs) his question I haven't heard of that before (laughs) He says
0: But no It's always good Hanging out with you Yeah Roy I I really enjoy it All the time So Yeah Thanks for having Um, me Anything from you Yeah just Princess Spike playmats To get you to Worlds Yeah We've been selling So many of them Thank you, everyone. I get that's compliments them. when I play on it. Yeah, ever like, jeez, I've been flying out the door. I think I've got about twenty left. Okay, so we're chewing through them. They can uh, hit
2: you up on Twitter, Insta,
0: yeah, wherever. I'll ship it all over the world, or I'll bring it to worlds. I booked my flights to San Jose well, today. Technically, if you order one in the next twenty
2: four hours and you want it in Singapore or Lille, he can give it to me. Well, well okay, I yeah. don't mind free shipping. Well, people will have not a lot of time because this posts tomorrow. But if you're quick, ask Paul, hey, can you put, give it to John? And if he says yes, then I'll come and see you tomorrow night, pick up whatever people order. Sounds Because like I'm point. taking a whole bunch. <laughs> Man, my bag <laughs> is half full. And then people realize they could ask that this is not – you do not do this. I'm not helping any more people. But I'm going to say the Prism artist, <laughs> you can order the Playmats offer – And give them my name to pick up. So there's like Uh, seven playmats waiting for me. Like uh, at some point they get heavy, you know, in the suit. So they got to come with me from Singapore to Lil, from Lil back to Sydney. So I think the idea is maybe
0: don't pack super light, uh, super heavy. I took like 35 Tall Timmy playmats to uh, New Jersey. And those things weigh a lot. That's what I mean. Like, I don't want to, but
2: also I don't want to take, anyway, I might end up shipping from Singapore to Sydney before I leave, like, just. Makes sense. It, they're yeah. not fragile, just wrap them up and, mm. but it's fine. All right, guys, we're going to sign off. Please sub if you haven't. Um, There might be a gap of a couple of weeks of episodes because I'm away Uh, for two weeks. mm but there'll be a big episode when I get back. Maybe we'll see Hayden Dale,
0: ca- Remember, I've got the login details. So when the cat's away, the mice will <laughs> yeah, play. No. So you might get a little sneaky little video from me and HQ up yeah, on why Thunder. Not? why not? Yeah. Easy.
3: All
1: right, appreciate you, Roy. Thank, a- what, Thank you.
0: Anything you want to say, Roy, quickly? Yeah, any, you go? any Anyone shout Anyone you want to shout-out?
1: Where can people find you? I don't really use social media, so... Smart not man. So very, very smart. <laughs> smart. <laughs> But yeah, just shout out to the whole Sydney fab community, I guess. Yeah, wicked. And yeah. obviously all my testing partners. And the
0: Canberrans. We love them down in Canberra. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah.
3: All right.
1: Thank you.
0: Cheers, Rokes.